But whenever there's like political unrest, they just pack their things and go. I think there's only one development model in Haiti, which is a top-down model where the foreigners, people from other countries or Western countries, they come and then they impose their views. They dictate, okay, this is how, yeah, you pop, this is, we get head. It's gonna, it's gonna happen the way we want it. Right, so for example, um, the push is to create uh, what they call like special economic zones in Haiti or to create things like industrial parks, right? In order to attract more foreign investment, in order to try to make Haiti more productive in a sense. Um, but yeah, the shift has been to creating things that attract more investment into the country itself, as opposed to actually trying to help the people of the country. There will be more just a follow-up of what we have been exchanging in Haiti Development Dilemma. And from you, the need is just to first understand a little bit about the history of Haiti, uh, told from the perspective that I would most want to hear from, right? Uh, and then we take it from there just to uh, get into the details of the whole development um, shifts. My name is Wadi Denoyen. I'm a second year student at Wendy's University. So who I am, I would say I'm Haitian, an advocate of justice, and I see myself as an equalist. So I think that everyone deserves the same opportunities. I'm here to, you know, like study poverty and maybe understand the words, how I would say how ed practitioners or, or like development aid, if I would say how the field of development aid create or foster inequality in the countries that they help in. Hi, my name is Martin Alexis. I'm a first generation Haitian born and raised in Miami, Florida. I'm currently getting my master's degree in sustainable international development as well as my MBA at the Heller School for Social Policy and Management. My areas of concentration are economic development primarily through education and empowerment. But I'm also interested in understanding how systems of inequality and systems of power function and how they're able to perpetuate. I believe that understanding these historical contexts are important to being able to shape a better future for ourselves and for future generations. Yeah, so the history of Haiti is an history of race and liberation. An history of race in the sense after the slave gained their independence, the, the response of the international community, and by that I mean the colonial powers at that time, they sidetrack Haiti. They impose trade embargoes on it, blockade like blockade, and there were so many times they also do military pressures. And but perhaps what was the most devastating thing was the independence debt that France forced Haiti to pay, mm. which the Haitian government in the 1800s, they spent most of their revenue, most of the government's revenues, they were going to pay that debt or they were going toward that debt. And because of that, it created a situation of poverty, like inequality, and... The, the governments were not able to invest 
and social programs. And as a result, it led to political instabilities. And also because, keep in mind, because Haiti was a risk, it was like a disease for in the highs. The colonial powers see Haiti as a disease in the sense, a virus, in the sense, this is the virus of freedom, virus of liberation. So what happened is they, like I said, they start track Haiti. And these also create political instabilities in Haiti and economical, like very bad economic conditions, which, long story short, which leads to the 1915 American occupation. Mm. Over the years... Haiti has experienced um, multiple interventions, both at the international arena and then national, uh, all that has to do with responding to the humanitarian and development needs at that particular time. So the first question in that set is, what development models have different stakeholders applied in Haiti? Okay, good question. So I think the first development model or like the main one that's been prioritized in Haiti has definitely been the neoliberal model, right? Where tariffs in Haiti, for example, are one of the lowest in the Caribbean, right? We've had presidents like Bill Clinton speaking with like Pre President Aristide, telling him he needs to open up the markets, make everything, you know, more free, more open to trade and things like that. So Haiti has been, you know, open to the rest of the world so that they can influence all the different things that are happening to the country, right? So that's, I think that's the primary model that has taken hold of the country and primarily has been given to that country by international powers. And it's, I think it's, um, a lot of people try to put blame on foreign powers for everything, right? Anything goes wrong in any country, you put the onus on, you know, the United States or the European Union. But when it comes to Haiti, it it's factually true that a lot of this, the, this, the instability in that country comes from foreign powers, and more specifically, the United States. So I guess it's been my own analysis of the research, right? Because um, I'm a first-generation uh, Haitian-American, so a lot of this information comes from my family. I haven't lived in Haiti. I have gone to Haiti a few times, but also doing my own research to find out more about the history of Haiti. So as you go through Haiti's history, starting from, you know, 1804 when they first declared independence to now, there are incremental things that have happened where the United States has been involved, for example, right? You can say that during the early 1800s, France was the primary um, international power that was, you know, putting pressure on Haiti, making things um, more difficult for the country. But then you see it starts to change in coming into the 1900s where the United States becomes a little bit more uh, involved in Haiti's politics, right? So I can give a quick example. I'd, a lot of people, especially me growing up, I didn't know that the United States occupied Haiti for almost 20 years, right? Like it was a military occupation in that country for 20 years. And when the United States left, when they let, took the troops out, they raided the National Bank of Haiti and took all the gold reserves, right? That's just one instance of foreign, you know, I guess meddling in Haiti. But I think it's a pretty clear example that happened, right? This was back in 1915 to 1934, I believe. So it wasn't 20 years, it was like 19 years. But still, it's pretty glaring, right? It's that it was foreign occupation 
using military force that happened in that country. So it's hard to not draw conclusions, not just from that, but that is a pretty big example of what happened. I think so. I'm going to say something I'm going to try to tell before. This is your moment. Please go ahead. I know when you ask that question, I know maybe most people, they will think of like, okay, hey, structural adjustment, the different stage. But for me, I don't think, I think there's only one development model in Haiti, which is a top-down model where the foreigners, people from other countries or Western countries, they come and then they impose their views. They dictate, okay, this is how, yeah, you pop, this is, we get hate. It's gonna it's gonna happen the way we want it. Mm. Tell tell me a bit more about that because uh, when you say top down uh, model, I, I have this perception that maybe there is a system in place and with a hierarchy and, and someone at the top of the hierarchy is uh, is dictating the rules. But I can't connect the dots when it has to do with a, a country. Let me try to do a brief history. Okay. Quick. So to kind of understand that dynamic of NGOs and anything, we need to look at the landmark of NGOs era in Haiti, which was 1954, when there was Hurricane Azul, which devastated the country. And I think Care International, CRS, Red Cross, they all went to Haiti and they provide humanity, like humanitarian, they provide food aid. And by mid-70s, Haiti was like one of the most aided countries in the Western Hemisphere. But what happened, it was during the divided dictatorship. And throughout the 80s, the U.S. government shift the, the way they do aid project in Haiti, where like they, they mainly give their money to the aid money. They directly give it to international NGOs. For instance, when USID has, let's say, like 200 million for aid in Haiti. So they, instead of like going to the Haitian government, it was during the dictatorships and there were like corruptions, men... Also, they were maybe using that as a way to, you know, like control the government. So they start that, having that money, having that international money, like they give it to international NGOs, which kind of empower international NGOs. And they, by late 80s, NGOs were like literally subcontractors of the U.S. government, or they were the one dominated education programs, healthcare, welfare, and even wood constructions program. So here you have a government which, which is like super dependent on aid. A country is like political instability as well, dependent on aid. And whenever the international donors send money or whenever they funnel money, they do not give it to the government. So the government don't really can, don't, don't get the help or the aid they need in like for, for instance, like maybe to fund the budget, for instance. Yeah. I can uh, grab you on that to just bring you to the second question. Mm -hmm. um, in, in one of our conversations, I remember you mentioned how different stages have been used to address interventions with very clear objectives, right? International, and even now you, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So although you are from the opinion that there has only been one uh, development model, which is top-down, mm -hmm. but... Um, However, how do you think this development model or the other development models have shifted over the time in Haiti if you were going to frame it in phases? Okay, so I guess the development shift originally in Haiti has been a lot of um, 
religious organizations that have come into the country and tried to push different kinds of programs, whether it's like health programs, education programs, uh, different things like that. But the shift that I've seen recently, or not recently, but over, I guess, the past 10 years, for example, has been a prioritization on, um, I guess, I don't hate to use the, the word again, but like more neoliberal policies, right? So for example, um, the push is to create uh, what they call like special economic zones in Haiti or to create things like industrial parks, right? In order to attract more foreign investment, in order to try to make Haiti more productive in a sense. Um, but yeah, the shift has been to creating things that attract more investment into the country itself, as opposed to actually trying to help the people of the country. Uh, well, then wouldn't that be seen as uh, something good? That well, create an investment in a country. Why is this seen as a negative thing? Yeah, good question. Um, I th personally, I think it's because the investment that's being attracted does it. They the individuals that are are bringing the investment don't have the best interest of the Haitian people at their heart. All they have at the, in their core is profits, right? Like you invest money in order to get like reap profits from whatever you invested in, right? So what they're investing in isn't in the best interest of the Haitian people, it's in the best interest of their wallets, right? If you want to create sustainable investments that are actually going to, I guess, make systematic changes in the country, why don't you try to get investment from the Haitian diaspora, right? The people who have left Haiti to seek better opportunities and have created wealth for themselves, right? So why won't you target your own people as opposed to more foreigners, where anytime you've let foreigners into the country, bad things have been a result of that. Like I said earlier, NGOs came 1954, and Maybe one of the development model houses, one of the earliest was where it was mainly food aid, humanitarian aid, you know, poor countries. And it was right at the beginning of the Duvalier dictatorship. And in this development area, the U.S. government and other international countries, they were supporting the dictatorship and helping them fighting communis communisms. And those aid programs beside food aid, they were mainly, they were helping the government, like training and stuff like that. Those like security and state building, those were kind of part of it. Then we get after 86 at the end of the dictatorship where it was when they started implementing structural adjustment. They really started implementing them in Haiti. And as a result, you start having a migration, internal migration, from where like peasants who live in the rural areas to go to to the cities because because there were like opportunities for cheap labor, cheap labor jobs, cheap like labor, and in the nineties that that or even like late eighties, what end up happening it's like they start imposing trade embargo as well and ad embargo. On Haitian's government, to one thing I should say, it's the ad model in Haiti. They coincide with the politics situation in Haiti as well. So, like in the nineties, for instance, Haiti was highly dependent on aid. There was a coup, and Bush, like George Bush, the president at the time, 
His reaction was to evacuate all most aid workers and the UN sent like the peacekeepers. So it's like you have those NGOs or aid workers who came and once there's like a political instability, they just like leave. And I would say white on 2004, so from, from late 96, late 1986 to 2004, that period was mainly, you know, not like still the following structural, structural adjustment was still in place, but also sometimes there was like, like I mentioned, aid embargo, food and like trade embargo, which again, like did not help. Then 2004 was when there was another coup and the government was a government friends with the international community, but because the prime minister was handpicked by the international community. And that period also coincided with the state building area with the UN missions and to, from 2004 until 2010. Then in that period was, there was the government, or let's say like the two governments from that period, they, they get, they did receive some help, but still the NGOs were still the main the main like receivers. And then 2010, which is the earthquake happened, billions were pledged, a lot a lot of NGOs came and until now. There's a sense of unrest amongst the local population because they don't think the government has their best interest at heart because the government the in- initiatives that they're doing don't align with what the local people are actually hoping to do, right? Like we, t- we touched a little bit about opening all the markets to attract more investment. That's what the government's doing, but that's not what the people are asking for, right? When you invite all these people in, you're taking away onus from the national government to provide public goods for the people because the government's saying, ah, these NGOs will do it for you, right? So a level of that unrest comes from the Haitian people not wanting more foreigners coming into the country, but the government inviting them to come in and I guess flood the markets as a way of saying that. There's that French, French like saying, who kind of said whoever finance, they also they don't lead in. Like Kifina's comment, like if you financing, you're the one with the power, right? Hate is like keeping my hate is like super hate dependent, and you were mentioning the structural like, adjustment. Those. F- international financial institutions, they send out loans or they give loans and with certain like limitation or recommendation and the gov- when the government, let's say like if they don't, if they're not able to meet them or those f- international financial institutions, what I think what happened, not even political, not even Asian politics, we should also look at the geopolitics, what was happening in the world at the same time. They were like pushing the, those policies and or like in Asia, like other developing developing countries. So yes, at that time Haiti they needed to develop the national industrial and agricultural policy. That's what Haiti needed. But these financial institutions they did the opposite, or they facilitated the opposite, where they opened Haiti economy. Like you said, they opened Haiti's economy. They prioritized development of low wage, and even like they export assembly industry to Haiti and. Again, they by doing that, it created a situation of overpopulation and and also centralization in Haiti, where you also have not so that overpopulation lead to obviously poverty and stuff. And politically, you have a weak government where like 
modern apisnaini no at least more than 75% of the budget is like come from outsiders from foreign aid and even remission so those government not only they weak often they are selected or the leaders are selected or let's say like there's into there's like involvement foreign involvement in Haitian elections or the international community they they have a course they course those lead Haitian leaders so the same way here's an example the coup in 2004 there was an hatred on Haiti so the government will heavily rely on on those head so it create that embargo that trade and that trade embargo that aid embargo created a situation of like there's a shortage of food for instance like poverty mm-hmm. so it it led to protest on the street and what happened is like the, the president was like ousted yeah what are the best possible solutions then to prevent Haitians from going through the same political instability the surge of gang violence natural disasters escalating violence and high rates of of migration and you just mentioned that the indicators that are are being sold outside show the opposite that everything's good but when you look at the the facts it's not necessarily what's going on do you think this this has to do with the fact that it's not the Haitians leading the way or designing programs or what is it exactly that's happening there in one word i would say poverty eradication like implementing a system or build a state where yeah democracy prevail but also equality a state where there's no foreign intervention a sovereign state because Haiti Haiti became an Haiti gained the Haitians we gained our freedoms in 1804 but we were never independent so we gain our freedoms in the sense yeah you were you were slave you not slave anymore you don't have to work for free or you don't have to work in those uh, atrocious like in those like bad conditions but we were never they as we we proclaim independence in January 1st i feel like January 2nd in the international communities they make sure they implement certain like things certain system to make sure that Haiti was kept out like so that created that situation of dependency which is why i said we 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 were free or we are free but we were never we are we have never been independent and so like take out foreign interventions like strong houses like we created create having like stronger institutions political institutions these things should be the first step and also obviously by reducing foreign by limited by limited foreign interventions it will also lead to lead to an ownership or to asian led solutions to haiti problems i remember you shared that you are writing a piece um, um a paper which in the end you have to let us know when is that going to be published so that we can follow up and one of the key topics there that you discuss most is how organizations take advantage of the natural disaster that recurrently take place in Haiti and it of course it goes linked to all the other issues that then politics the economics would you would you describe and go into details about that yeah i think you referring to my master paper which is how disaster 
how why natural events by natural events i mean earthquake hurricanes why natural events often turn into disaster in haiti and what can be done about it so this was the original research question but of course as i'm writing now i have to come up with a different research question but that's part of my paper where the reason is disaster capitalisms and I know I I can see you looking at me being like defining the disaster capitalism. <laughs> In wake of natural events, over exploited countries like Haiti, they they are vulnerable to disaster capitalisms. And it's a term coined by Naomi Klein. Coined that term as a situation that occurs when private interest or private companies like when they goes in a particular region in the wake of destabilizing destabilizing events whether that's like war coup a government coup and natural events so they go to those areas and they make profit out of the social sufferings that occurs yes yes i love the word disaster capitalism because it that's exactly what it is right when that earthquake happened in 2010 they had a huge fundraiser that was I think it was the, at the time the biggest fundraising event that, that ever happened in the world, right? Billions of dollars were flooded into to help Haiti, right? But then when you ask about what the results of those were, you try to find research and you just see that the money just disappears just like that, right? There's no trace of the money, nothing actually sustainable went happened. For example, I know they built a soccer stadium. So as bad as it sounds is that there's no results to be seen right every time there are inputs into the country the outputs for whatever reason seem to be worse right you send in the un to help um haiti for whatever reason and then they bring cholera right the un peacekeepers they bring sexual assault on the people right so any input that has ever happened from foreign entities has always resulted in whatever output and negative outputs for the Haitian people. Well, you know, uh as experts to be, that's how I uh, I like to see it. One thing is to discuss the problems, mm-hmm. which we like a lot because it's probably what sells the books out there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and we, we don't tend to see what good there is whether it's parent or not do you think you would frame a haitis development process in any good framework around and and what what good aspects would would that be uh, i'm looking at you as an expert that it's mm-hmm. okay taking a look at the at the holistic scenario and you just told me about the the trend in history history uh, of haiti and then this um emergence of foreign aid mm-hmm. uh, foreign investors Uh, you just highlighted the major fundraising uh, event but o- all of it when you look at the documentation process mm-hmm. it's all good mm-hmm. like the objectives the goals the yes. measures if you go back to those uh, project documents or the business plans or the, the the social marketing efforts that were designed they were all good yes so but it's because of the indicators that they're showing you that are good Right so I I I know exactly what you're talking about because I looked into this as well. So the indicators that they give you that show success are things like uh we supplied this hospital with x amount of supplies, we su- provided the school with x amount of books, we have all this attendance, all these different things, but there I feel like they're 
have to be a second order of indicators that show what happens after you leave, right? Did you show people how to use those supplies? Even though you added more books into the school, can more children read? Are those children completing secondary school, right? There are second order indicators that come above the ones that I feel like are marketed to people, right? Because it's easy to just give supplies, it's easy to give people things, but when it comes to making, I guess, the sustainable change as the buzzword, it's lacking in those indicators. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you. You mentioned that indicators are problematic, but who defines these indicators? I'm trying to uh, bring you to discuss the aspect of ownership mm-hmm. of the whole programming process for the country. Yeah, I think that that's truly the case. Where it's not the Haitian people who are taking the lead to make any of these things, I guess, stable or to be enacted to their full capacity, right? I. Like I mentioned earlier, I do think a lot of these things come from um, foreign intervention, right? Like you asked about how to um, prevent a lot of these different things like political instability, gang violence, and all these different things in Haiti. But that's an extremely loaded question because of the stability in the country, right? So I keep mentioning, you know, foreign intervention and things like that. But the United States does do that, right? So they do factor into the political instability of the nation, right? A lot of the coups whether or not this is speculation or not, are done by the United States government, right? Once a leader in Haiti is, serves their role or no longer complies to the whims of the U.S. government, they initiate a coup, right? This has been this, the case for the past, you know, I don't know, 50 years, probably more than that, right? So how can you expect political stability if you have people coming in and making it unstable? You know, and if the people see that it's unstable, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of just continue, continued instability. So where are the Haitians there then when all of this is happening? Because um, the way you're framing it, it makes me sound that somebody else is running the country. Yeah. The Haitians are there and they're protesting. You know, they're always there. They're, you know, asking for the help. You see, for most presidents that have led the way, you will see protest happening. Right, because the president either isn't fulfilling his promises or the people are seeing that the country is, you know, getting worse, for example. They're protesting, but it's hard to be in control of your destiny when you have a bigger hand playing better cards. And one of your, uh, I remember again, that you mentioned a lot of your, your concern that you criticized the lack of planning in the and I would really like to understand what do you mean? Because I'm assuming if there is a government, there is a structure. And if there is a structure, there, there are some documentations that guide how that structure works. I, I hope I'm not wrong, but please. I don't think the government, the like the current government, they don't know how many NGOs are in Haiti. Yes, there's government departments that supposedly need to regulate those things, but... Often what happens is like churches, missionaries might just go and they go in a village or a small town in Haiti. They found someone, a church member, and they're like, okay, we're going to start something. So I would say there's, there's a lot of legal, like registered organization. Most of them are registered. And with those registered organizations, I would say there's maybe more than a thousand 
over it. I think that's why Haiti is called Republic of, of the NGOs. But also, when, when I was talking about when I mentioned missionaries and stuff, it's like growing up in Haiti, I know of so many people who just like start maybe link with a foreigners. And then there's something the foreigners will come with, like create something and then they they just come, they officially on a visit, but also they working or they doing a small project. There's the thing, there's those things as well. I'm not gonna say that's the way things are. Yeah. But that's one of that's one of the things that happen. What are you exactly proposing in your research um, that would respond to this? lack of structural planning and, and monitoring, which, of course, is a learning process for me. But, mm-hmm. but. I guess what I'm, heading, what I'm proposing is a use of Haitian grassroots, grassroots organization. Like in 2010, the Haitian government only get 1% of every money that went to Haiti or that was even pledged. That were pledged and when it was founded, when it was donated, the Haitians of it like get just one percent of it. And the earthquake that happened last year, so that kind of shift, because obviously, like you know, that a fiasco happened in 2010. So it kind of shift where you I saw a movement of Haitians on social media who were like creating message saying, Okay, donate to Haitians organization, do not donate to those organizations, send money to Haiti and instead give it to the people instead. So I would say more, more of that, but like more officially, like donate to Haitian grassroots organization and maybe empowering Haitian's government. There's that distrust from donors, international donors, that Haitians are co-opted. Yes, there's corruption in Haiti, but... <laughs> How does that play? There's corruption in Haiti, but... So you're telling me, you're telling me you go somewhere, you're like, okay, yeah, you have... It's obvious that you you have some dire needs, but also you co-opted. I don't trust you. I'm going to give that money to a friend of mine, which is like those international NDOs, which was going to like mismanage that money and decide what they, how they're going to help you without asking you. So we're helping you, but like we're giving it to that person. They have the right to, they can mismanage it. If they mismanage it, that's fine. We trust them. But you, just by looking at you, because of the condition we created, you co-opted. So we're not giving you money. Well, we might be just closing up. Imagine that you are setting up, you've been hired mm-hmm. to redesign Haiti's development process for the next 50, 100 years. Um, where would you start? That's a good question. I think this might not be, might not have to be the first priority, but I think it should be a priority is to somehow, I guess, re-energize the Haitian immigrants that have left and I guess in one way or another, incentivize them to come back or help in some sort of one way or another, right? Because they've had the opportunity to leave, take advantage of the opportunities and make things better for themselves. But I think they have a responsibility to their country, their birthplace, to come back, maybe not physically, but in some sort of capacity in order to try to help make things better. And I think Roddy, Roddy was arguing there that the lack of a disaster plan 
proactive, not only proactive, um, as in not only reactive plan to the extent that, well, the disaster happened. Mm -hmm. What do we do now? He was advocating that, well, perhaps it's time to think ahead. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So how would you then put all these pieces together to start thinking ahead. I'm, I'm trying to imagine all the challenges involved. Well, the government needs to start taking proactive steps, definitely, because Haiti, its location is at the heart of just many natural disasters, right? You have it near a fault line, hurricanes pass through that area all the time. The government should have been well aware of the different things that could happen for Haiti, and they definitely should be more proactive in that case. Right. It's just interesting, especially because, right, I mentioned before, foreign intervention and things like that. They have no interest in trying to work proactively. Right. Because of disaster capitalism. Right. If you if you can just act as if, it, you know, we had no idea this could happen, then, you know, you can step in and take advantage of the situation. But that it doesn't make any sense when it comes to the Haitian government, because the Haitian government knows that things will come. Right. So they definitely have to work proactively. And I guess I want to think a little bit further than just blaming the government. Maybe the local population can start forming some sort of, I guess, community initiatives to have plans ready. Right. Smaller communities could be have could draft, you know, disaster plans to say, okay, what happens if, you know, a hurricane comes, knocks down on different houses. Right. We have no access to food supplies. What can we do? to make sure that people can still live after these things happen. I think, yeah, Haitian people, if they know that the government will not be there for them, they need to collectivize themselves and create, I don't know, some sort of agency where they can, def- I guess, not defend themselves, but you know, stand up for themselves when they know the government won't do it for them. But how do you start to do that in an environment where That's, I hear mm-hmm. that uh, the rates of violence are so high in extent that in some neighborhoods you are not necessarily free of starting your own plans. You have to align mm-hmm. with a with a gang, a particular yeah, gang, to get some support, ask permission. So, uh, how, how do you start? That's a very good question. In order to start, I guess you have to believe that you can make a difference. I know that that sounds um, like very wishy washy, and it's something that is maybe might not happen in reality but i think that it's true that there needs to be some sort of i guess revitalization of their own consciousness about what they can do themselves because they need to take the power back in their own hands and and it's hard to say that for coming from my the privilege that i have speaking to you in a university right because i'm not experiencing gang violence i'm not going through that i don't know what it's like to have to try to i don't make your life better when there's violence right outside your door but there just has to be a better way to make that happen, especially, right? So if you're, you're saying the, the picture that you're painting is the community can't help you because the community is run by gangs and the government can't help you because the government's run by gangs as well, I guess is a good way of saying that. So then the only people left are the people and it just, it has to come from, hopefully, I would love to say internal leadership, like when you collectivize, you can point out leaders but in the situations like these, leaders are often targeted in a way that doesn't allow for leaders to, I guess, reveal themselves or like take leadership positions. So it's just it's an interesting 
It's an interesting question that doesn't really have a solution. In my mind, ideally, it would be a solution by the state, but I don't see the state having any incentive to fix that. You know, one thing, one weird decision I came up to when I, as I'm doing my research, usually in the past I use that word dilemma, but lately I've been thinking about why does it have to be a dilemma? Because the answer is obvious. Like, there's a clear answer where, okay, development as the, the way it's done, it's failing, whether it's like in Haiti and any overexpanded countries, it's failing because it's a top-down, they, they, they use a top-down approach. So there's no dilemma. There's like one issues and then a failure to realize, okay, we're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. I like that. I like that for closure. This was another conversation with Martin Alexis and Roddy Donner in Thinking Through with LJ. My name is Leopoldine Geronimo and I will see you soon.